Welcome back, everybody, to the Boiler Alert podcast. We've been off for a little while. I was in Hawaii. We were uh, watching the Maui Invitational in person. Time difference was a bit of a problem for Ryan and I, five hours. Uh, but we're back today. We're going to cover the Maui Invitational, and we're going to look at Purdue's victory over IU. I am, of course, Andrew Ledman. I am the non-Hawaii vacation getter, Ryan Bonaparte. Yeah, and that's always how you've been known. Uh, throughout your whole life, um, you know, everyone around you has just gone to to Hawaii, and you've just been there alone, and and that hurts. I understand that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I understand Stuck that. alone in the Midwest. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, some say some say that Illinois is the Hawaii of the Midwest. Well, if I could find a pineapple, I might agree. Yeah. I, I had a lot of pineapple while I was there. Um, also got a fresh coconut. Had a guy, you know. Cut it open right in front of us and drank the drank the water right out of it. Uh, so that was okay. pretty good too. Uh, that guess how much that cost? Uh, guess how much that cost me to have a guy just on the street cut open a coconut and me drink at drink the the coconut. Um, I'm gonna say two bucks. Fifteen dollars. Ooh. Now I know there's probably somebody listening who's like from Hawaii and is like that guy got robbed. And that's probably true, uh, but he was the only person we saw doing it the entire time we were there. So I was just going to pay whatever he asked me to. Because my son wanted one. He wanted to try one. So I was like, I mean, $15, it's fine. He really liked it. And we got to watch the guy cut it open right in front of us. It was enjoyable. $15 did seem a bit crazy, but, you know, I'll take what I can get. Hawaii in general, very expensive for those that don't know. Yeah, plus usually you just pay the man with the big knife. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He It was a very large knife, and he knew exactly what he was doing with it, so uh, did not mm-hmm. want to get uh, macheted. I uh, was trying to avoid that at all costs. So uh, I got back from Hawaii this morning. We landed at Dulles over in Virginia uh, and then had about an hour drive home to get back to Maryland. Uh, my son is not handi- handling the time change very well, so he's in bed about an hour early. Um, hopefully that'll make tomorrow a little easier for everybody. But uh, as I said, we're going to cover the Maui Invitational. Um, I know I put out a brief one earlier uh, la- late last week, but go into more detail on this one. And then, of course, talk about Purdue uh, and their victory over IU in the old Oaken Bucket game. But, Ryan, uh, the transfer portal has opened have there been mm-hmm. any notable names for Purdue at this point? I know it's not been open for very long, uh, but it's going to be an evolving process. What can you tell us about who is in there and kind of what that impact may be for Purdue football going into the offseason? Yeah, so a little bit of uh, turnover right now in the transfer portal. Now, I will say just because they're in the transfer portal doesn't mean they can't come back. That's right. Uh going to preface that but so far we know of about five names they are linebacker oc brothers although for whatever reason he's listed as uh well his real name is octavius brothers pretty awesome name i don't think i knew um, that i honestly i don't think i knew that i just it, it's I always it been OC, yeah it's always been oc i mean i i know they they listed as you know o period c period but i never took the mm-hmm. extra step to be like what does that stand for right so, I mean, it's what he goes by either way. Um, so we've got Brothers. He's in the transfer portal. Um, we've got Josh Kaltenberger, kind of one of those guys who stepped in with all of these, all the several injuries to the offensive line so he can play guard, center, um, and kind of all over. And then um we have tj sheffield who entered last week before the iu game actually so he didn't play in the iu game um he is going to the transfer portal and the other two names that we found out kind of recently were corday sidnor on the defensive line and backup kicker julio macias so and let's just say let's (laughs) let's just say if you're the backup kicker at purdue Good luck to you in the transfer portal. Right. So all these guys looking for some greener grass. Um, we wish them the best of luck. I get the feeling some of these guys may end up coming back. That just seems to be how the transfer portal is working nowadays. But 
who knows? We yeah. want them to have the best situation for them, first yeah. and foremost. I mean, it's interesting because this is, obviously, this is Walter's first offseason with Purdue, first offseason right. as a head coach. So we don't really know how he's going to use the transfer portal. And are these mm-hmm. players that are going into the portal, have they been nudged by by Walters and staff that say, hey, look, it, it's not going to happen for you here. We want to do everything we can to get you in a good spot. Um and we wish it the best, but you're not going to have a spot here going forward. I don't know. I have no idea how this this first-year head coach uses the transfer portal. And maybe he doesn't either. I mean, you know, first time doing it, maybe he's going to uh, change things up throughout his career. But for right now, it's just kind of a watching and waiting for Purdue. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really don't love that OC Brothers is in there. I thought he could have a lot of impact on this Purdue team, but... He didn't really seem to have the season that we thought he was going to. Um, and so that that is unfortunate. But he is a guy who I did like going into the season. And uh, you could, to me, I would rather keep every offensive lineman uh, just to grow some depth, grow some strength, because that has been a unit with so many problems, so many injuries, um, and mm-hmm. such a, a dearth of talent that I want to keep everybody on there. So um, I would prefer Kaltenberger, right? Um, yep, Kaltenberger. Kaltenberger. Yep. Um, I would prefer he stay just for an experienced uh, name to be remaining on the roster, especially a guy who can play multiple positions. But, you know, if he goes, he goes, and hopefully Walters can replace him uh, with somebody who can step in and, and play a big role. But it's it's very difficult with the transfer portal to know what you're going to get, what you're going to lose. It's just it changes day to day. Absolutely. And um, it's – one of those things where I know you touched that there may not just be a spot on the roster and the players might not see a spot for themselves. True. They may not um, see like they may not see Purdue doing well enough this year um, where they want to stay. They might want to go to a team where they think is going to have more success you know, we don't know how long this turnaround could be for Ryan Walters and where it'll go. Right. I mean, you see some schools in Indiana, they uh, don't have a coach that can help turn around in several years. Well, some of so, them some of them at this point don't even have a coach, uh, which we'll yeah. get to in the second half of the podcast. But, uh, I mean, your, your point is well taken. We don't know how long this, this rebuild is going to take. And if you're a guy who's kind of waiting in the wings, and if you truly are betting on yourself – Maybe it is smart to go out there and find another program, but mm-hmm. you know, if you can battle for a starting spot, get your starting spot. You can make a name for yourself anywhere. Um, it's just a matter of the work that you put in. We do wish them nothing but the best. I'm a I'm a big believer in that the transfer portal really can help folks because imagine you know the the decisions you made when you were 17, 18 years old, looking back in three or four, or even in you know in TJ Sheffield's. Um, eyes you know five years he's been at Purdue a change of scenery can do you a lot of good um so I don't begrudge any of these guys who are looking elsewhere so we wish them nothing but success um but if if they can find a home at Purdue and and walk out with a degree and find a way to contribute to this team obviously all the better but we do wish them nothing but the best wherever they land yeah absolutely yeah so that is enough on the transfer portal we're going to look at Maui uh, we're actually going to take our break now, and we'll go right through Maui and then the IU game. Um, so we will be right back, folks. And we are back. So, as promised, going to do a little bit more in-depth coverage of the Maui Invitational. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday games. Um, I mean, just absolutely phenomenal basketball. I'll tell you, the Tennessee game was hard to watch, as I'm sure you all know, <laughs> just because of the refereeing and the number of fouls. Um, but overall, Purdue goes 3-0, wins the Maui Invitational, beats number 11, number 7, and number 4 in three consecutive days. And, I mean, it rivals, if not surpasses, the Phil Knight um, Invitational or whatever, PK-85, uh, that Purdue mm-hmm. won last year in, in terms of the talent that Purdue faced. I mean, just an absolutely top-notch performance. I don't know, Ryan, would you prefer to go game by game, or do you just want to talk in generalities about the tournament and what we saw? Um, I think generalities kind of would work um, because a lot of these guys, they were consistent across the three games, and it's just 
uh, I'm I'm excited to talk about this. Yeah, yeah. Me too, me too. So, I mean, game one uh, against Gonzaga, a bit of a slog in the first half. Purdue went in uh, to halftime mm-hmm. down, and that was something you saw against Tennessee as well. Um, right. Though that one was a little closer. I believe it was only 31-30. to 30. Um, mm-hmm. But Purdue goes down to Gonzaga, by I believe, by five at halftime. And it felt like a miracle um, that they were only down five. I mean, Purdue did not play great first halves against Gonzaga or Tennessee. And it was a bit of a slow... I mean, Purdue started out up 6-0 on Gonzaga, and then I believe allowed a 14-0 run, and then yep. just kind of clawed their way back from there. And no one really looked good in the first half of that game. But then, I mean, through the first two games, Gonzaga and Tennessee, it was the sophomores for Purdue who won these games for them. Um, you might look at the box score and you see, you know, Edie was the leading scorer against Gonzaga. But, um, you know, Braden Smith, to me, he really won that game for Purdue as he took yep. over just a few minutes into the second half. Uh, I mean, he, he was everywhere. Offense, defense, uh, getting assists, tapping the ball away. Um, he really showed exactly what he can do and the growth from last year. I mean, I thought his his play in that second half versus Gonzaga was some of the best play we've seen out of him uh, throughout his time at Purdue. Yeah, I'm not sure there's more of an automatic shot for Purdue outside of a Zach Eady uh, right hook, right-handed hook, than Braden Smith jump shot off of a high ball screen. He does he that very has well. Absolutely locked in on that shot and it is working so well. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean Gonzaga is a talented team. All these teams are talented. Um right. obviously just you know just based on the rankings alone, but it was fun to see them up close. It was fun um just to see how Purdue truly does measure up um with these big name programs. And I mean mm-hmm. When you're a Purdue fan, you see them every game. You see, you know, you, you've watched them every game for the last however many years. So you kind of get used to what they have. And you get used to the fact that there's been a seven-footer on the roster for about the last 11 years. Um, and then right. you see that same seven-footer up against the rest of these teams in person. And it really does make a huge difference. Um, I mean, Edie had great games all around. I mean... Double-digit rebounds in all three games was the leading scorer for Purdue in two of the three. Um, I mean, double-doubles in every game. And he is just, he's, there's no comparison from anyone out there in college basketball right now. And he continues to assert his dominance no matter who plays him, no matter how they play him. Whether they play him straight up, whether they send to, you know, whatever defense they're going to throw at him, Zach Eady is going to find a way to get his. The one disappointment I had in this tournament was that Kansas did not beat Marquette. So you can see Zach Eady and Hunter Dickinson go up against each other. Right now, those two look like the like the leaders in the entire country for player of the year. And it was a 1-2 matchup just waiting yeah. to happen. And Kansas just choked. Yeah, yeah, I was really excited to to see Purdue face Kansas because, as you said, one versus two. How often do you even get the opportunity to see that? And give it a couple weeks. We, yeah, that's right. Uh, we may see that when we have Purdue versus Arizona and Indy um, coming up in December. But it, it's just it was a game that I think everybody was hoping to see, and then Marquette pulls off the upset. And I'll be honest, I mean, I was worried about playing both Marquette or Kansas. But Marquette worried me just because there's a familiarity there since we played them last year. And, of course, knowing that Shaka Smart is on the sidelines, uh, given his history against Purdue uh, with VCU, just absolutely, you know, taking Purdue to task all those years ago in the NCAA tournament. I'm a a superstitious person, and that uh, worried me just a little bit. But, man, it, it really was a lot of fun. And... You know, to your to your point, it opened up the opportunity for Purdue come when this you know when this podcast comes out on Monday, uh, Purdue will be awaiting the AP Top Twenty Five, where they will be number one for the third season in a row because of this tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's one. I I know you mentioned the PK eighty five or whatever it was called. <laughs> Still don't know. Um, I think this was a better showing by Purdue. Because, one, they played three ranked teams, where last time they only played two. I mean, thinking about the comparisons, 
Um, we played West Virginia in that first game, who was like a fringe ranked team, but all three of these teams this year were top 10 final four caliber teams. Then I think I'm happy that Purdue did not dominate these games. And that may sound a little bit backwards. That does. Yeah. Give me, give me more on that because I certainly, you know, sitting there, I would have loved to see a Purdue win by 20 would have been a lot less stressful there on press row. That is true. However, last year you saw Purdue at their ceiling, right? You saw, hey, when Purdue is firing on all cylinders, they will not lose a game. However, they didn't know how to have a game where you're not hitting anything like in a tournament game. How do you escape that? Purdue had that in this tournament. They had, hey, we can't hit a three or, hey, we are playing against a team that pressures us to the point of cracking, how do we get around this? And how do we win the game? That is, it's really invaluable to a team to get that early. And Purdue was not playing at a ceiling. We know Purdue's ceiling will beat any team in the country. But even when you're playing not your best, you still can go and beat top, top 10 teams in the country three days in a row. That is much more valuable to me. Yeah, I think there's something to that. And you've heard uh, Painter talked about that in the post-game press conference, I believe, after the Marquette game. It, someone asked him, you know, what do you learn from a game like this? And he talked about how sometimes it's you learn a lot more from a loss than you do from a win. You Of course, mm-hmm. you don't want to repeat that lesson. You know, you don't want to continuously learn from losing uh, because, you know, you're there to win the games. But sometimes it really can be a moment where things kind of click when you lose. Um, you, you take a step back and you say, oh, those things that we were getting by with when we were winning, there are problems. We are not a perfect team. So... I, I do think there is something to that, but Purdue was, as you said, Purdue was challenged in these games. Um, you know, Gonzaga led for a lot of it, um, especially in that first half. In the second game against Tennessee, the referees were just <laughs> horrendous. I mean, it that was not a basketball game. Um, you know, we were sitting there in press row, and you know, you're you're as quiet as you can be because you want to be respectful when you're down there. You're not there as a fan. You're down there covering the game. But at, at a certain point, everyone is just kind of looking at each other and like, how long is this game going to be? Like, what are what are we doing here? I mean, even even Andy Katz came down uh, and was sitting behind us and goes, you think we're going to hit the two and a half hour mark? And everybody's like looking at their watches and like, well, what time was actually tip off? And then we're like, I don't know, we could get there. I mean, there were so many fouls called in that game, so many free throws, just absolutely the refs took control, and, I mean, a complete ref show um, in that game. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the box score right now just to see both the total number of fouls and the total number of free throws because it was some of the most outrageous, I mean, number of, of both that I can remember. There were 51 fouls called, uh, and combined mm-hmm. the teams shot 78 free throws. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that's, uh. that is too many of both. Um so, yeah. uh, I mean, just just crazy. Um, and, and while we're on that, you know, what did you think of Purdue's free throw shooting? Do we think this is something they're going to have a problem with um, mm-hmm. all season? Because they did not look good. I mean, especially in that Tennessee game, 29 of 48 for just 60%. Um, you know, Fletcher Lawyer was 10 for 11, so you love that. But um, mm-hmm. and, and Caleb first, 3 for 4. But, man, uh, Zach Eady, 9 of 17. Trey Kaufman ran 4 of 8. Braden Smith was the most shocking to me, two of six yeah. in that game. And, I mean, he's usually a a sure free-throw shooter. So I don't know what was going on in this game. Do we think this is a problem, or is this kind of a, a one-off in, in the the Hawaiian islands? I, I don't think this is a problem. Zach Eady missed six straight free-throws mm-hmm. at the start of the game, and they were talking about it, how he stares at the rim. I can't unsee it now, so thank you, CBS or ESPN or whoever pointed that out. Um, But he missed six in a row, but then after that he went nine of 11. So I don't think Zachy is going to have an issue. Braden Smith, I feel like, was just tired. I'll be honest. He was playing 35 
minutes a game. He missed four free throws at the very end of the game in the Tennessee game. I think he missed a fifth and sixth in a row from the Marquette game as well. But it's just he was tired. Uh, Kaufman Wren, if he shoots a 50% clip, I'm actually almost happy. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, he's he's not known as our best free throw shooter, but you'd certainly love those numbers to be a little higher. Yeah, but, I mean, you think about it, that if Purdue makes 10 more free throws, this game's not even in question. Yeah. So yeah. it kind of boils back down to that. that's another aspect that we – have to learn to deal with is if you're not hitting your free throws, you still have to score points. Yeah, yeah, you got to find a way. And I, I again in the post game, Edie was asked about his free throws. Now, like you know, you started 0 for six, and then you you went on a streak after that. Was it just was it nice to see that first one go in? What happened? And he mentioned, and I can't remember what player um, he said. Talk to him about it. So I apologize for that, but someone came up to him and said, "Zach, you're not shooting your free throws right now. You're aiming them." Um, mm. So they said, "Just calm down and shoot it. You're you're a great free throw shooter. Just shoot it." Um, and, and after that, is he started hitting them. So maybe it was a little bit of a stress situation. Maybe it was just a little bit of a pressure. Um, but he certainly did turn around, as you said, after starting 0 for six finishing um, making his next nine of his last 11 so that was great news but while we're on that Tennessee game I mean how about Fletcher Lawyer in this game Ooh, 27 that's... points six rebounds three steals um, mm -hmm. I mean he, he was just this was his the best game of his season without a doubt yeah and you know you can point to the fact that he shot seven of 18 from the floor and three of 10 from three point but he, as you said, he was everywhere. It wasn't just his 27 points. It was everything. I mean, normally a team will pick on Fletcher Lawyer on defense. Right. And Tennessee tried. You know, make no mistake, Tennessee did try to pick on Fletcher Lawyer. But I think what he was doing was he was trying to get a hand on the ball more often, just get a tip so that it sets someone off their rhythm on defense, and it worked. Uh, a lot of double teams were helping Fletcher Lawyer as well when Tennessee would drive. Yeah. But, you know, it seemed like a unified effort, and it really did look like a breakout game for Fletcher Lawyer, who had struggled coming into that game. There were plenty of people on the Twitter sphere oh, who yeah. wanted him benched. Yeah. And, you know, he showed what he can do, and... Moving forward, it seemed to help because the Marquette game, he didn't do too awful either. Yeah. You know, he had 10 points, but he also seemed to be a little bit of everywhere in that game. Yeah, yeah. And he played 36 minutes against Tennessee, and I think mm -hmm. that shows you how confident and how comfortable it, Matt Painter is with him being out there on the court. Um, and to emphasize your point, I mean, he did get picked on on defense at times. He did get backdoored. He did get scored on quite a few times against Tennessee. So it, it's not as if he's suddenly a defensive uh, savant, but he's better than he was last year, and that makes a difference. Um, that allows him to be out there in close games. That allows him to be out there in tight situations. So it's it's very good uh, for Fletcher Lawyer that he had this game. I think gets a lot, a lot of the monkey off his back um, that we saw earlier in the year and we hope it continues. So mm -hmm. one one player at least, I mean, we have to mention to me uh, that we haven't yet is Lance Jones and yes. just the, the energy and intensity he brings to this program that they were lacking beforehand. Um, mm -hmm. Doesn't always stat, stat stuff. I mean, in the Tennessee game, he had just four points, grabbed three rebounds, two assists, and a steal, uh, but he had four turnovers. So it wasn't his best game. But, I mean, he is so active on defense. His, he's getting hands on the ball. He's diving for loose balls. Uh, he's pumping up his teammates. He's, he's a guy who you can always count on to bring the energy. And, obviously, the biggest play for him during mm -hmm. this tournament was the three-quarters-plus court shot against Marquette to end the half. Um, yeah. I mean, just an absolutely unbelievable shot. Made it right in our faces there in the media. And, I mean, at that point, you know, as I said earlier, you're trying to be – be cool and, and not react, everyone in the media section kind of went like, oh! I mean, mm -hmm. it's, you're, even if you're there as media, you're still a basketball fan, you're watching it, I mean, it's incredible to see. Um, you don't often see shots like that, 
But, man, you know, he hits that three at the end of the half to put Purdue up by 12 going into halftime. Purdue ends up holding on to win by three, so that three-pointer becomes even more consequential. Um, but, you know, what what a what a performance there by him. He played 32 minutes in that game, wound up with 11 points, two steals, one assist, and just one turnover in those 32 minutes. And before, mm-hmm. I, before I let you talk about uh, what he did in this tournament, I think it's important to point out how – much better Purdue looks at breaking a press when both yes. him and Braden Smith are in there at the same time because mm-hmm. Braden Smith has another guy he can trust to get the ball to because he has another ball handler in there with him. I love Ethan Morton more than the next guy, uh, but when Morton was in that role, it's not it's not near as good as when Jones is in there. Um, you know, you you've seen Morton's minutes fall off because I think. Jones is in there doing things that Morton can do, but with better offense and with kind of the, a similar defense and a better, better ball handler. And I think that is that has made a huge difference for Purdue going against the press so far this season. Yeah, and I think it uh, it's really nice kind of bringing up Ethan Morton that you have two guys who are like seem to be locked down defenders, on ball defenders. Uh, when you have multiple scorers going against you, right? So if you have a couple guys you need to absolutely defend, you can bring Lance Jones and Ethan Morton in, kind of an offense-defense type situation for Braden Smith and um, Fletcher Lawyer. So it's a really nice pairing uh, when you need to. Uh, When... Marquette went up for their final shot um, to try and tie yeah. it at 78. It was Lance Jones who cut the uh, guy off and made him take a much more difficult shot. Yes. So it's little things like that, but they make such a big difference in the grand scheme of the game. And yeah. you see like Lance Jones is speeding the offense up almost to a point that it seems too fast for Zach Eady at times, um, just because it, it, it picks up the pace a little bit. Not to the point where it hurts it, but it's, you know, different, right? Yeah, different. So you definitely see the difference he's making, and I, I'm i still sticking with my bold prediction that he will be first team all Big Ten defense. I mean, it's it's looking like a pretty good prediction right now. Um, mm-hmm. So far. Yeah, and to expand on your, your point about the last possession for this Marquette game, um, Purdue had uh, a free throw from Braden Smith to try to push it to four. He missed. Mm-hmm. The front end of a one-and-one. One. Zach Eady got a rebound. He was immediately fouled. Went to, yep. the, went to the line, missed the front end of a one-and-one. One. So Purdue had two chances to push it to four, but couldn't do it because of, again, the free throw line. Purdue was just eight of 15 in this one against Marquette. Um but in the post game, again, uh, they asked you know Lance Jones about this last possession, and he said, you know, Painter told us to foul once they got to half court um, because you know Purdue up three, just a few seconds on the clock. Um, mm-hmm. The this you know the analytics and everything says you foul when you're up three. Um, right. Obviously, Purdue's got some bad history with that, um, but the numbers are the numbers, and and Matt Painter trusts the numbers, so he he told his guys to foul and Lance Jones said you know I kind of called a bit of an audible because he took a weird spin and I I was afraid he was going to shoot and I didn't want to foul him if he was going to be able to get a shot off because then he's got Mm -hmm. three free throws and can tie the game and you could see Painter because Painter was up there as well and he was just kind of like smiling and kind of like shaking his head just a little bit because he (laughs) I think he knew like when they didn't foul he was probably kind of upset uh, of course, then it works out in the end. You can't really be too mad, but it was good, I think, basketball awareness by Lance Jones because if he would have fouled when Painter wanted him to foul, I mean, Marquette did get a shot off. It was an ugly shot, and it was nowhere close to the basket. Um, mm-hmm. But if he had fouled him there, you, people would be yelling at Lance Jones the entire time, uh, probably to this day, if Purdue had gone on to lose that game. So it was a very good example of what Lance Jones is capable of out there on his feet, you know, uh, being able to call an audible in game. And one last thing that he said during the press conference, he mentioned 
that he said the the eighty foot shot. I think is what they called it. Seventy eight to seventy five to eighty foot shot. Whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. He said it felt good coming off of his hand. And Zach Eady just kind of looked at him and kind of gave him a quizzical look. And as they were leaving after the press conferences ended, I was on the aisle. Um, Zach Eady goes. How the hell does a 75-foot shot feeling good coming out of your hand? Come on. <laughs> and Lance Jones go, like was as as honest and like as earnest as it could be. He's like, it did. He's like, it did, I swear. So I, I don't know how much of that was him just, you know, going along with the act that he, he's a uber confident guy, but he was he mm-hmm. was adamant that that shot felt good coming out of his hand. And and so I'll go with it because it sure looked good. He deserves it. He earned it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there's one thing that I have to ask, and it comes down to how good do you feel about Purdue's bench? I feel pretty good. I think because, and here's why, you see guys come in in spurts and it is hard to get a rhythm, but you still see guys who make an impact. So I'm going to give you an example Miles Colvin in the Marquette game, he only played four minutes, and he did have some bad moments. He missed the box out, and um, he missed a defensive assignment and got scored on. And I understand that, but he's a young guy. He's still learning, uh, still getting into the Purdue system. But in those four minutes, he had two great entry passes to Zach Eady and mm-hmm. led to two easy buckets for Eady in a time where Purdue desperately needed points and when Purdue had been struggling to get good inside looks for Zach Eady. So you just see in even four minutes he was able to come in and make an impact. Um, and then also in the Tennessee game, I believe it was uh, Morton, you know, who only played five minutes, but he came in and had a really great block at the end to prevent a mm-hmm. Tennessee three-pointer. So even if these guys are not getting a ton of minutes, they're still able to come in and make an impact. And then to go along with that, you've got guys like First and Gillis who are coming in playing double-digit minutes and you know backing up the four position. Or even in the case of the Marquette game, I believe it was the Marquette game, yeah, Gillis played 24 minutes while Trey Kaufman-Wren only played 11. And that wasn't because of foul trouble. Um, Trey Kaufman-Wren didn't have any fouls in that game. But it was just a situation where Painter thought Gillis was a better matchup, so he rode him throughout this. Uh, the the vast majority of that game wound up with uh, five rebounds, two assists, and no turnovers. Um, mm-hmm. So and five points. So you know Painter has a lot of interchangeable parts, and he seems to be doing the right things right now. Um, so I'm excited for the bench. Um, I think there's a lot of talent there, and they can come in on any given night and make an impact. What about you? Yeah, I agree. And. <sighs> The issue that I'm starting to see is just I know there were a couple times that Gillis had trouble just holding on to the ball and the ball would just go right yeah. through his hand. Yeah, at least three uh, times. Mm-hmm. Between the first two games that yeah, it was a struggle. And I think you saw that almost I was gonna bring it back to why is Fletcher Lawyer getting so many minutes? It might just be because the guys behind him I mean, you got Colvin, who's obviously a freshman. He's got to learn the system, and that makes complete sense. Morton, Morton's been sick, right? He, like he's been dealing with some yeah. illness again. And then you've got Gillis, who obviously he's not a two, but he kind of plays between four and two. He's somewhat all over. He's been struggling at times too. So, um. Matt Painter definitely seemed to ride the hot hand, and I don't blame him for it. And it clearly helped the team win. So, to your point, it's nice to have all that depth. Um, And I think it really showed the two freshmen played like freshmen in this tournament. They had spurts, as you mentioned. Um, Heidi was kind of, I don't want to say non-existent, but Heidi didn't do too, too much in this tournament. But... It's he's kind of the low man at the time. Um, and l- let's be honest, these are really good teams. And if you're not able to, I shouldn't say not able, but if you're not fully indoctrinated into this program quite yet, um, it can be a struggle. But that's why you play games and that's why you continue to grow with the program. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great point. So, um, Overall, I mean, just an incredible experience. 
in Honolulu. Um, obviously, you mm-hmm. know, they moved the tournament, but I mean, just incredible. I actually saw a few people I went to college with were there. Um, you know, just like, like I said, top notch tournament, top notch performance by Purdue. Couldn't have asked for anything better. So, I mean, just absolutely incredible. I'm, I'm so amazed I was able to be there. Something I will remember probably for the rest of my life. Um, so any final thoughts on Maui before we take a look at Purdue versus IU? Uh, gonna be number one for the third straight year. That's right. Gonna be gonna be number one on Monday, and third straight year. I mean, it, it's crazy. And if it carries over into twenty twenty four, it'll be four calendar years that Purdue has been number one. Right. So I, I mean, we, I gotta believe the breakthrough's coming. I just gotta believe it. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm hopeful as ever. And just you know, I'm not gonna name the site because. Uh, you know, just for non-advertising purposes. But Purdue, currently listed as still plus 150 to win the Big Ten out there on some gambling sites. So Mm. maybe get yourself some free money. We'll see. Um, But that's enough on basketball. Let us turn to Purdue's uh, victory over IU in a sweaty fashion, 35-31 in Ross-Aid. Purdue winds up four and eight on the season, whereas IU falls to three and nine. And I won my bets of of IU being under three and a half wins for the season. Didn't have much on them; only won about four to five bucks. Uh, but it was just just a fun bet to to try to win some money off IU's misery. So I'll take that. Um, but man, this was an ugly game, Ryan. Absolutely ugly. And you were in attendance, correct? I was not actually. Oh, you were not. Yet. Oh, come on. Maybe that's why we won. Right. Yep. Clearly. Um, I went through the whole season having only seen zero victories in person. Unbelievable. So, uh, sometimes it, it's like that. But, I mean, this game was had it all, right? You had a kickoff return for a touchdown. You had a block, uh, extra point, you know. Just everything in here was brutal, but Purdue figured out a way to beat its rival. So yeah, that's about all I have on it. Yes, yeah. yeah. I it was mean, ugly. It was the, ugly, ugly. The Purdue special teams were anything but, as there were uh, missed field goals, a botched extra point. As you said, they allowed a 100-yard kickoff return for a touchdown to IU. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, just like. Everything on special teams that went wrong did, but I guess credit to um, credit to the Purdue kicking game because they did turn it around. Um, mm-hmm. Purdue would not have won this game were it not um, for those field goals by Freehill. You know, he missed his first one. I believe it was yep. thirty yards, and then of course the extra point. Who you never really know who the extra point is on, whether it was the snap, the hold, whatever. That um, one was a botched snap. Yeah, that was okay. bad. Um, but then he makes his next three and without those Purdue doesn't win this game. So kudos to him because that is a, that is a tough mental space. I'm sure as the Purdue kicking game has struggled all season and to, to be able to turn it around once you've already missed the first has got to be really tough. So, uh, kudos to Ben Freehill there, but man, everything went wrong for special teams. Um, every time you thought Purdue was going to find a way to win this game, uh, something just kind (laughs) of. came up and kicked him right in the chin. Uh, Purdue had three interceptions on the day, including, you know, the the first one that they returned, I believe, to like the 12-yard line and then got no points out of it because that was the one where Purdue missed the, the field goal. But, of course, couldn't punch it in in the red zone. I mean, the, all the problems reared their ugly head for Purdue on this one. I mean, everything that we've seen just came roaring right on back. Uh, yeah, pretty much everything except fumbles. True. You've got me there. You've got me there. So, um, now, if you had Purdue receiving touchdowns by oh my gosh. George Burhen, Drew Bibber, and Devin Mockaby on your bingo card, you should go buy some lottery tickets now. Yeah, I mean, full disclosure, I don't even know who two of those guys are. <laughs> I mean, I, did yeah. you? I knew who Bibber was just because everyone is always saying, you know, because of Bieber. Oh, and I mean that's fair. They have to give you the pronunciation of his name, not to call him Drew Biber. 
Um, yeah, um, yeah, okay, I get, I get that. George Burhan, no, no idea. Didn't even know he was on the roster, I'll be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's just... <sighs> I mean, we're we're getting touchdowns from people who I've never even heard of. We're, we're scoring points in ways that I didn't think possible. Going forward <laughs> on fourth and two, I mean, a bold, bold play call. Uh, worked out perfectly as it ended in a touchdown pass. Uh, that one was to Maccabee. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it was a beautiful play design. Uh, but you just wonder, how, why are we in that situation to begin with? It's not as if this IU defense is a powerhouse, yet we struggled so much uh, at times. We just could not put anything together. Mm-hmm. Then you have Cam Allen putting his final stamp on his Purdue career with probably his best interception of his career with just wrestling the ball mm-hmm. away. Um, Dylan Thieneman absolutely just kick the teeth of anybody that was throwing a deep ball to the sidelines. Yeah. This season, I mean, that guy is definitely a freshman All-American. You would As think. they said on the broadcast several times. Yeah. And, it, I mean, he now holds the freshman record uh, for interceptions in a season. So mm-hmm. he, he's, he's done very well for himself. Certainly has some bragging rights against his older brothers. Yeah, absolutely. And this guy is only a freshman. Yeah. Um. You had Nick Scorton, who got Saved two the game. more sacks. Yeah, just absolutely crazy. There, it, it always comes down to these final games where you have guys do this, you know, sort of incredible stuff. But it's just against your rival, winning the bucket. And let's be honest, both of these seasons were broken seasons for yeah. both teams. Yeah. But the winner of this game has momentum going into next year, and the team with momentum still has a head coach too. Right. Right. Uh, so for those that did not see IU fired Tom Allen today and that buyout going to cost them $20.8 million, which if reporting in, in the athletic is to be believed is I believe the third highest buyout yep. in college football history. And IU right is paying Jimbo. it. <laughs> yeah. It goes Jimbo, then someone else. And then Tom Allen. Oh, that's just why his agent must be a genius or else the uh, or else the administration at IU is absolutely idiotic because how do you negotiate a 20 million dollar buyout for Tom Allen a an IU football coach you know you're if you're an IU football coach you know you're going to be fired it is the nature <laughs> of the job so yep. who, how do you get them to agree to 20 million dollars buyout just outrageous you have what zero prior experience yeah. as a head coach? No head coaching experience at the collegiate level. Um, I believe uh, he was a high school coach before he came to IU. So, which yeah, I but mean, it was, you know, you got to pay your dues. I'm not disrespecting high school coaches, but if you're going to give somebody a twenty million dollar buyout, you would think it would be a name. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, but it, he should he should take his twenty million dollars. And just retire and never be seen in public again. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Now, I, I I have one question about this firing. Does the term Leo go with it? Oh, God, I hope so. That is so stupid. <laughs> that is so stupid. Can uh-huh. you, Ryan, for those that don't know, can you explain Leo? Um, it, It's just, it's like the mantra of Indiana once Tom Allen came in. It's what, love each other? I, yeah, I think so. Uh, sometimes I heard it. Some people said it was like love everyone, but I think it's love each other. Okay. I'm, yeah. So it's just yeah, it's love dumb. each other. Yeah. Because what was Brahms when he came in? Let's play football. I mean, let's, I guess. yeah, let's play. Yeah. So it's it's just one of those where he, I guess it's stuck, but it's I don't think I've ever seen someone who actually enjoys it. Right, right. And I mean, I will miss the videos of him being awkward, singing the Indiana fight song three times in a row in three different ways in the the locker room and the awkward, terrible speech before last year's IU-Purdue game where he's just yelling... Yeah, where he's just yelling out random words. Intensity! And you're just like, what is happening? And then he'd just shuffle around and yell another word and, and the half the team was like, what is going on? Um, yeah. So, I, I don't know. I, I will miss that, I suppose. So, 
Good, good for you, uh, Tom Allen, for taking the bag and, and running away. Um, <laughs> so one thing I wanted to ask you about is now that the season's over, it's time to kind of look back and figure out what went right, what went wrong. And I know a lot of people are going to point to the play calling. They're going to point to Graham Harrell. And our colleague, uh, Drew Schneider, posted this on uh, Twitter yesterday, and I wanted to read it to you and get your opinion. Okay. The Graham Harrell slander needs to hush. Last two games with his actual offense, not a freshman quarterback taking their first snaps. 49 points versus Minnesota, 35 versus Indiana. Card where they combined six touchdowns, 526 yards, zero interceptions, 129 rushing yards, and two touchdowns. Okay. I, I mean, do we think that's good enough? Do we think that should show what Graham Harrell and this offense is capable of? Or are these two games the aberrations and the other ten games are really what we have? Ugh. You see, I, I'm i struggling with this considering the previous game, Indiana gave up 48 points to Illinois. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I understand it changes week by week, and I think Graham Harrell has the ability to do good at his job. It's just you really need to be consistent when, let's be honest, we are not Alabama, we are not Ohio State or Michigan. We do not have the same kind of talent. You need other aspects of the team to completely excel. And play calling is absolutely one of those that you need. You, you need to have a leg up. I mean, let's be honest. When we hired Jeff Brom into this team, he was known for his trick plays. Now, mind you, he didn't use them all the time, but it turned into him and his brother were in offensive minds, and they understood how to get over the disadvantage that was talent level. It's got to be consistent, but I think Graham Harrell can do it. Just you saw flashes... And I still think that Purdue will have more talent coming in, especially since the entire cupboard was bare this season. You know, uh, Coach Walters and, to an extent, Coach Harrell came in and got the talent they could for this year. And it will continue to build, I hope. I hope. But if that play calling is consistent, I have much more optimism. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Drew makes a good point, but I think what it fails to consider is what you said. You have to look at what those defenses we played gave up to other teams. Um, there are, of course, as you said, variances from week to week, but Purdue has to be more consistent. Card was injured. Um, I understand that. He had a rib injury, um, but there were there were just some terrible decision-making uh, on the play calling. Purdue's nemesis as first and one at the goal line. I mean never taking a snap under center, never doing anything that could kind of show a different wrinkle uh, to force the defenses to cover you differently. I don't know. Um, I was just very disappointed in a lot of situations that Purdue found themselves in play calling wise this year. I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, I, I don't believe he will be let go. And I just hope him and Walters can kind of work out in the off season what Walters expects of him and what kind of offense they would like to run now that they'll have a few more of their guys in, whether those be the true freshmen who you never know if a true freshman is going to play in college football um, versus those he brings in through the portal. So I hope they find a balance, and I hope, 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 hope that Graham Harrell figures out what to do when he gets in the red zone because he looked absolutely, to me, he looked incompetent most times we got to the red zone, especially when we got to the one-yard line. Just an absolute embarrassment. Yeah, and we also need to remember that the schedule's not going to get any easier. No, no. So it's you got to gear up for what will be another gauntlet in 2024. But, hey, we get an FCS team, so we get Indiana State. That's right, and the, and uh, we hope that's a game where everybody gets to play and we see a lot about uh, the rest of the team, especially the new guys coming in. Um, because if, if you don't empty your benches against Indiana State, you have got a whole other set of problems. Right. Maybe we'll actually get to see Burhan before the last game. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, or, I'll, maybe I'll know who he is. Right. So it'll, it'll be another grueler, but hey, I... I think 
having Coach Walters have the entire offseason, I mean, he doesn't even have to prep for a bowl season. So he'll have even more time to really put his nose to the grindstone, get some of these recruits to come in, put a game plan together. I think that the wheels could be turning. And, you know, it's it's going to be a tough test. It always is. Now that's just the way it is. Yeah, in the that's just big, big football 20. now. Yeah, 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 the big quote 10, end quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, – I look forward to it. Yeah, I mean, me too. Me too. I, I think there's going to be a lot of good football in the future for Purdue. I, I still, despite the 4-8 and eight season, I am optimistic uh, about what mm-hmm. Walters can do, especially on defense. You did see a lot of improvement on the defense throughout the year, and I think that, as strange as it may be for Purdue fans, maybe that is where we hang our hat and we just slowly build an offense. Um, you know, we did mm-hmm. see improvement in the running game. Uh, run blocking got better by the offensive line that was cobbled together. So as you continue to build, um, I I just hope for continued improvement. So I think that'll do it for football. I want to mention one more thing. Um, I know we've been coming to you twice a week. We're going to continue that for the foreseeable future because we will have basketball games to cover. So uh, this Tuesday, Purdue faces Texas Southern. And then Mm -hmm. Big Ten season kicks off on Friday, December 1st, as Purdue heads to Northwestern to take on... Well, Northwestern. They t- head to Evanston to take on Northwestern. There we go. There we go. Um, and, you know, we, we're going to talk about Texas Southern and look ahead to Northwestern in our next episode. So uh, really looking forward to more Big Ten games uh, for basketball. Some, you know, these are on Peacock. No, or, I'm sorry, these are on BTN. No Peacock yet. But <laughs> the game against Arizona could be a number one, number two, is going cool. to be on Peacock. So I'm getting that out you know, 20 plus days in advance. So no one be angry. Um, although there people will be angry. (laughs) So for Ryan and myself, thank you so much for joining us folks. We'll see you again next time. Boiler up. Hammer down.